There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to Justice, a podcast series exploring all aspects of the criminal justice system with me, prison philanthropist and founder of One Small Thing, Edwina Grosvenor. In this episode, I have the privilege of speaking to Stephen Akpabio Klementowski. He's a former prisoner and now regional manager for the Students and Secure Environments team for the Open University. He's also an associate lecturer in criminology for the Open University and is also a PhD candidate. Listen as we unpack Stephen's remarkable journey where he began studying whilst serving a 16-year prison sentence and how engaging in education has enabled him to transform his life to where he is today. My name is Stephen Lachbabian Klementowski. Um, I'm a regional manager for the Open University Students and Secure Environments team. Um, and what that means simply is that I um, manage the university's relationship with some 29 prisons um, in the south and the southwest of the country. Uh, I'm also an associate lecturer in criminology, again, with the Open University. And finally, I am the PhD candidate uh, in criminology uh, with, a, with, a, with a focus on prison education. Amazing. Well, congratulations on embarking upon the PhD. And um, Stephen, can you tell me where your relationship with education started? Yes. So <clears throat> I um, left school without achieving any qualifications and um, so I've always been conscious of that even though um, as a young person I sort of tried to take it in my stride. <laughs> um, so when I actually came into contact with um, education in any kind of meaningful way um, was during a period of incarceration I um, in 2002, I was uh, prosecuted and convicted of uh, serious drug offences and sentenced to 16 years in prison. And uh, it was during that period of incarceration that I had an opportunity to engage in education um, really for the first time. Um, so my education, my educational journey started in custody back in 2003. Okay, and how 
did that manifest itself? Because I know that so many prisons are so different. How did you stumble across education in prisons? Or was there a particular staff member who uh, brought it to you? You know, what does that look like for our listeners who might never have stepped inside a prison? Well, that's, a, that, that's an excellent question, Edwina, because um, by going into prison, I certainly did not have um, any plans, aspirations, intentions to get involved with education. So I arrived in prison and um, was not looking out for educational opportunities, you can put it that way. Uh, so um, my negative experience of education as a young person added to that. So um, it was really by good fortune that um, I, as every other prisoner is required to, undertake my um, literacy and numeracy assessments. And these, 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 these assessments are mandatory and they, um, they, they, they provide the prison service with some, some, some indication as to each prisoner's educational level, standard. So I did my assessments and um, I did actually quite well on these assessments. And did that shock you? Well, that was, a, that was, that, that was quite sort of significant, really, because, um, well, first and foremost, the first sort of formal test was sat. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so it was interesting that I, I, I've done well. Uh, um, I mean, I, I could read and write, uh, but it was uh, the first time I'd sat down and done a test. And so, so from that perspective, it was quite significant as well. And um, it could have just ended then, you know, I'd done my test, ticked the boxes, and I could have just returned back to myself. Um, but uh, education officer who administered the test um, was quite taken by how well I'd done, and that sparked a conversation. Uh, and that conversation um, led to, and initially, actually formally sitting my GCSEs and, 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 and gaining, <laughs> gaining those GCSEs. Uh, it happened in record time as well, weeks. Really? What? How, how many GCSEs did you say? I was at two. Okay. Two. In? English and, and, and maths. Right. Um, and you got them um, done in a couple of weeks, which is completely well, unbelievable. Well, in, in a matter of weeks. In a matter of weeks, I just clarify that. In a matter of weeks. Yeah, that's still in, utterly in, astounding. Yeah, things in prison don't, 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 don't work quite so quickly. But um, in a matter of weeks, I, I had got my GCSEs. Uh, and that was significant. That really was because they were the, because they were the first formal qualifications I actually had, and and, and, and that did do something to my hope, you know, to my sense of confidence, to my sense, of, you know, just to the idea that well, I've got a qualification. And did you find it difficult? I'm interested in how you felt, um, you know, having sat them and you got them quite quickly, and we, you know, what what were the sort of Emotions that you felt? Were you sort of well, stunned yeah. or happy? Well, there were loads of there were loads of emotions really to start with. Um, I, I didn't really um, to start with. I didn't welcome the, the this focus on education. You know, to begin with, I had to go up to the education department. I had to get into a classroom with much younger men than I was at the time. I was in my mid thirties. 
I had to sort of um, overcome what would have been, you know, the stigma, the idea that I had no qualifications. Right, so a little bit embarrassing and, you know, yeah. I guess you had to be quite humble. Well, precisely that. Um, but also, you know, going up to going up to education as opposed to having a job of some sort carries some sort of financial penalty as well. Um, I know things have slightly moved on since I was in prison. Um, I know certainly of one prison that now has a parenting pain for prisoners who are engaged in either education or work. But in most prisons, um, engaging in education has carries a financial penalty in the form of lower wages. Oh, I um, see. Right. So it's so it's lower wages. You're not being paid to go to education, obviously. And and probably there's a bit of a kind of, is it a bit embarrassing? Lots of people well, don't want to go because actually it's like I'm the tough well, guy exactly. or like... You know, there are two points there. Um, the first point about pay um, is a significant reduction in pay. You know, on average, perhaps, you know, 70 odd percent reduction in pay. So two pounds going up to education is back in two thousand and three, four, um, and ten pounds. You know, well, from seven. So the, you know, for, for some, you know, for, for prisoners who are not financially independent, they, you know, they you know, must require some sort of financial support. Certainly, the wages that you see goes help um, in terms of um, being able to afford, you know, stamps, phone calls, just basic things. So it does, it does put people off the fact that you, you know, you're not going to end up with less money at the end of the week. Um, so that's one thing. But um, also, you know, this idea that you're just starting your educational journey, you not having any qualification, um, there's a huge stigma attached to that. Um, and I um, eventually overcame that stigma. I mean, I, I, I realised I could do it pretty quickly. So I didn't, you know, I didn't expect to be, I didn't expect to be involved in education for 18 years there on. <laughs> yeah. I, I, thought it was, I thought it was going to be in and out. <laughs> exactly. So, but so, did you find, fine. when you were in the classroom with the other men, I'm interested to know what stage everyone else was at, because of course, what some people might not know listening to this is that there's a lot of people in prison who can't read or write, mm -hmm. you know, and so therefore they fight having to fill in any forms or anything because they're just so embarrassed that they can't even write their own names. And that is kind of like quite amazing to think of in Great Britain in 2021. So when you were in that classroom, were there other people in there who literally were learning to write their names and one plus one, well, two plus two? Edwina, not just in the classroom, on the wings, in my cell where I was doubled up with other people. Um, well, we know, being from... Um, MOJ's own figures, I think something in the region of 42% of prisons, if I alluded to earlier, in excluded from school and something like that. I was part of that group, part of that cohort. Um, well, fortunately, I could read and write. But you're absolutely right to say the prisoners who arrive in custody without, you know, unable to read. I've had to, I've had to read personal, very personal communications and letters for prisoners who can't read them themselves. And that, you know, that's the height of embarrassment, you know, that's the, I can't, I can't explain how bad that is. Um, when I was in prison, um, there, were, there, were, there were various schemes that um, involved 
sort of mentoring where prisoners would work with, where prisoners who could read, like I could, would work with other prisoners who were struggling with reading. And um, this particular scheme, uh, it was run by a charity called, at the time, the uh, charity was called the Channel Trust, and uh, the scheme was called Tell by Tell Scheme. And essentially, it, it was a, fun, you know, it, it was a very clever, phonetical way of approach to, 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 to reading, to uh, learning to read. Um, and it was very effective. So in, in a matter of weeks, you know, you could literally, you know, in, 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 in as little as sort of 20, uh, 20 minutes to 30 minutes a day, in a matter of weeks, you could literally support somebody into being able, you know, into being able to, to read basic sentences, construct basic sentences. So I was part of that uh, project as well, but this for the very same reason. So, so, so by the time um, someone like me would end up in the classroom. We would have we we would have had to overcome all this stuff we talked about. We've just talked about, and, and, and that's a big that's a big call for somebody who um, is already, you know. No, this is just one. This is what this is only just one aspect of um, 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 what you have to deal with. You know being incarcerated. This is just one element of it. You know, you still have to deal with all the other all the other issues that incarceration brings. So uh, uh, most people unsurprisingly don't want to touch it. Absolutely. Because they've got other things to be dealing with. Exactly. And quite frankly, not that I know anything about male pride because I'm not a male, but I can imagine, yeah, that's that's just a huge sort of elephant in the room that is going on the whole time that people don't want to talk about. And what I do know from having work in, worked in prisons for so long is that then that can eventually manifest in violence if someone is ashamed and doesn't want to do something. They'd rather kick off and distract so that they can leave the classroom and just not have to. 100%. 100%. I mean, you find ways of not being there find ways of not not engaging and that's not too difficult to achieve you know in, in prison uh setting so 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 there are so so there are issues the men i worked with on this reading program um they all recognized that they, they you know they recognized that this was a basic skill and they actually uh, this is a skill that's required not just in prison but actually when you get out as well uh, um they then would, after a bit of persuasion, um, would then, you know, to you know, to empower, in order to empower people, you've got to you've got to bring yourself alongside. You you can't you can't do this from a top down. You, you know, it, it can be done in a top down way. If that approach just wouldn't work. So what what you need to do is to bring people. You need to come alongside people. Um, and make them feel comfortable to work with you, you know. Um, you make them feel that you're not going to, that you're not going to draw attention or highlight the, 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 whatever issues that they might have, you know, that you work with them quietly, confidentially, um, and that you work with them genuinely, you know, in an honest way. As long as they would put in their bits, you know, that's your, that's your part of the sort of contract, as it were, as long as they put in that part of the contract is in, you know, um, um, you know, keeping to the rules and attend, you know, and, and engaging with, with, with what we're doing, then then we would get through it. So so you have, um, and that's how you have, and that's why the scheme was particularly successful because it, because because it wasn't because these prisoners weren't weren't being supported by officers or members of staff or or any other or 
authority. They were being supported by their peers. Yeah. By those lads on the wings. Exactly. Um, and I think that's so powerful. And and I'd love to see more and more of that sort of peer support and prisoners being trained up. I know quite a lot of that stuff does go on. Clearly not now, um, sort of less so because of the pandemic. But it's such an important, important aspect of a healthy running of a prison, isn't it? Um, well, you can extrapolate from that. One of the, um, one of the factors or um, features of the prison service uh, that is often not discussed is the, is the role of prisoners in actually supporting the delivery of services within prison. Yeah, I've talked about one scheme here, which is the reading scheme, but there are other schemes. The schemes uh, like the listener scheme, a scheme where uh, prisoners are trained by Samaritans to provide sort of friendship, psychological support to other prisoners who might you know, be you know, having a split off time. Yeah. So that, that, that goes without, that, that is hardly ever discussed outside of prison. Uh, but these are important roles. And so the notion of peer support um, is one that you can transfer, for example, it right into the classroom. You know, so this, this work we, uh, we did as mentors is done on the wings, in our rooms, in ourselves. But that, same concept can be transferred straight into the classroom because you have you do have prisoners who have qualifications you have prisoners who have skills and you do have prisoners who are uh, sort of in the process of acquiring these qualifications and skills in the past and, and, and to me then they are a real asset absolutely and can make the officers um lives easier right by sort of taking up some of the flack we all know there aren't enough officers and the officers that are there are overrun and overworked and you know they've got too much on so you know i've always been amazed that the sort of peer support aspect isn't just like absolutely at the forefront of how prisons operate but um quickly going back to your studies and so you galloped through your gcses and then what what came next well um what came next was my um, sort of uh, still resistance to any sort of further exploration of as a meaningful, you know, as a meaningful pastime activity. Yeah, you've got your two GCSEs yeah. and you're done. I turned, you know, to get out the door. Uh, but then, you know, uh, it, it, the fact that I had got these GCSEs so quickly really did spark a, a, a you know a really strong conversation and 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 and, and, um, um, and debate between myself and the education um officer because uh it, it seemed i had the capacity to to, to certainly engage in education and it seemed i also had the time because i was there so i, I wasn't doing anything else as it were <laughs> uh, yeah. and so i had to um i've always prided myself as you know, being someone who's rational, like think through, um, and um, I found it quite difficult to resist, you know, to continually resist this opportunity to get into education, um, not least because I demonstrated some ability, um, and I, I, I just felt, um, I, because I couldn't justify my not wanting to engage, I reluctantly agreed, I thought, I thought right, okay, so what's next? I'll do it quickly, and I'll be gone. Uh, and A-levels were the first options, and I just said no, because I, I've always thought A-levels 
um, quite rightly, it was a level three study that leads to university type. <laughs> oh, right. So it's almost like a gateway drug. I'm not going to do the marijuana because it might lead on to something else. It's like, don't touch those A-levels. <laughs> You'll be on the class A's like you are now in further education doing a PhD. Well, that's right. I could see the, I could see the link, and I just thought, no, that, I, no I'm going to draw the line there. Um, so um, I said, well, no, I certainly have no interest in the levels, and I'm not interested in anything like that. So that would be that. Um, and then um, the option of you know, doing an access module at Open University um, was sort of put to me, because, that, again, access modules are sort of foundational. They are the active bridge between the level two. Uh, qualifications with which you want to this and uh, if you want to go to university the level four you know a uh, year you know equivalent year one studies at university so the access model acts as a bridge between these two levels of study and um uh, but i didn't know i, I know now I, I, at the time I, I i didn't know these intricacies um but I was, it, it was put to me that I, you know, having got my GCSEs, I was eligible for this access module. I did not worry about how to fund it because it was um, it was being funded by grant and um, and also um, because because it um, was a distant learning course through the Open University. I could do it in my own time. So I could go back to my jolly job on the survey and, and then just work around my own time and, and gain this and gain this qualification if I, if I wanted to. And that was that 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 arrangement really did appeal to me. Right. It meant I would be responsible for my uh, you know, basically put you know, my destiny was sort of in my hands. Yeah, and, and I imagine feeling, you know, like you said, though, the embarrassment of going back to education when you're in your 30s, but then, you know, this allows you to be an adult, if you like, and you've got a job and you're managing your own time, and, yeah, it sort of, sort of makes more sense. But how did you stumble across the OU? Again, was that a member of staff who said, look, this is available to you in this prison? Well, that's right. Well, it, it was, you know, I was... You know, I can't express how fortunate I was um, to be in that particular prison um, at that particular time, uh, because, as I said, I view the role of the education officer as one of being a gatekeeper, and um, I certainly wouldn't have taken on that journey if I wasn't encouraged to do so, um, it, it, like on an individual basis. So it wasn't, you know, I was I, I, I was being consulted. Um, I was being, um, 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 I was having these debates and conversations about about my future, as it, you know, and I'm, and I'm, and I can't stress how um, how much I appreciate that. You know, looking back now, that, that for me that was a positive and significant intervention. Yeah. You know, for me. So, so it was all down to members of staff. Uh, so I did did the GCSEs. I didn't want to do A levels, and then the other option was you will see that it was. A down the A-level path or down the um, open university pathway through my access module. So as long as I as long as I successfully completed the access module, then the open university would accept me. Um, I would meet their eligibility criteria to begin a proper undergraduate degree with them. Um, and, and so that was a massive, massive um, incentive 
Yeah. For, but, for, for, for me to do. But did it also feel a little bit lonely? Because it's sort of, you know, and, and again, you'll have to paint a picture of how you managed to study because you said you were sharing a cell. I doubt there was a desk. Um, I haven't been into many cells that have got lovely writing desks. Well, there's a small desk, but obviously, you know, RT takes pride of place on that. Yeah, and did you have a computer, you know, and did you have someone supporting you? So can you paint a picture of what your studying and your work life was actually like? Okay, so 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 um, being in prison can be can, can feel um, you can have a sense of isolation being in prison in itself anyway. So separated from friends, family, and so on. Um, but as a student, um, even more so, I'm afraid um, it's, it's well. My eight years in custody, I never had. Um, on my wing, or certainly on my landing, or indeed on my wing, did I ever have another another prisoner who would be studying exactly the same subject that I was studying, or module I was studying? So they might have been studying uh, the same subject, but then they studied a different module. Um, so there's always that sense of isolation. Uh, but in, in a way, um, your companion is, is is your materials. Your companion is your is, is, is your books and your uh, and your, your study material. So 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 it, and indeed, you know, research has shown that actually being engaged in this um, you know studying while in custody, certainly uh, in terms of all you study, um, research has shown that one of the byproducts of this uh, uh, um, activity is uh, your well-being, and the reason. Um, for that well-being is that I think it does compensate for, for, for the you know the loss of that social interaction you would have otherwise have. Well, that just gets ploughed into your, your your studies and your course materials, and that's why um, you know students in in, in in prisons tend to do very well given the restrictions that they often face. So so um, so for me, uh, the sense of isolation is constant. You know, it's constant, um, something you learn to live with um, and develop strategies of how you cope with, with it. Uh, and one of the strategies that worked really well for me um, was that I had this, I had my studies um, that, could, that, that, would, that would fill that void. Yeah. What were the hours in the day where you used to study? I mean, you know, some people are morning people, some people are night people, um, but I guess you don't have too much of a choice in prison, yeah. depending on the regime and the servery and the other things that are going on. So what was your, like, working day and well, regime like? Well, I, 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 I tried to make the environment um, which uh, is not designed for studying, uh, you know, you know punitive environment in some ways. Um, I, I've had to... So find ways of working with the environment. So prisons are very um, can be very noisy. They can be quite rowdy, um, and uh, they're overcrowded in many instances. So you have to share cells with other people. So I would uh, generally find that I, it was best to I I found it best to study at night where. You know, you've got lights out and everyone, you know, the place is a little bit more quiet than it would otherwise be. 
but that's after 10 p.m. normally. Um, and I could be studying for three, four, five hours, depending. So um, my, my, my cellmate would um, be asleep and I would be in the uh, adjoining toilet, which um, my cell had. So we had this adjoining toilet where I would just sleep <laughs> in the toilet with my books, uh, with the lights on, but the lights off in the main cell. Um, and was he um, ever like, get off the toilet, turn the lights off, what are you doing? Well, or was he quite accommodating? I guess you have well, to be accommodating. Well, yeah, well, this is the thing, um, and, and this is partly why I still go into prison, because I think, because um, actually, um, you do have a, there is a, com, you know, there's a camaraderie in there. Um, it was a, you know, you know, it was a prisoner that, it was a fellow prisoner that, that got me out of my state of shock um, in the first three months of being incarcerated by simply just coming up on and, 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 and talking to me and, and, and just wanting to know if I was all right because I haven't been speaking to anyone or kicked out of my room or doing anything else. So, um, so, so there is a lot of support. I've talked about peer support already um, in more formal context, but um, there is this informal, informal, Type of mentoring as well and support that goes on. Yeah. Um, so generally speaking, your your cellmates and and others were supportive of what you were doing. Well, they well my cellmate certainly was. Um, others maybe less so, but my cellmate certainly was. Yeah. It, it, it's uh, um, it's difficult for prisoners to understand why you know you know someone who has a criminal record with all the implication that carries even even after release. You know, people do wonder why you would want to spend your time. You know, why would you want to spend your time getting all these qualifications? If it work, because <laughs> <laughs> if that's for work, you can forget that. So, so there's a there's a there's a, there's a sort of negative negative attitude um, towards the whole notion of you know that sort of level of investment. You know, years. Yeah, you'll never get a job when you get out because they'll find out you've got a conviction, and yeah, Precisely. why bother? Precisely. Get back Sorry. to get back to the drugs. Um, so you managed to get two. You've got two master's degrees, and you're doing a PhD. So um, were those masters? Did you get them in prison? Yes. Both of them. Yes. My God. Yes. <laughs> and I say that because I'm doing a master's at the minute, so I know exactly what level of work is required. And I do sometimes think of you actually, and think about. Um, what it would be like to be doing my master's sitting on a toilet in a prison cell. And um, so, I mean, a huge amount. So I'm just, yeah, totally inspired and in awe of what, what you managed to achieve. What were your master's in, can I ask? Right. Well, um, so two things, really, I must I, I need to quickly say about my two masters. Um, and um, this is, again, where I think another intervention that is significant um, in terms of Staff attitudes and, and, and staff staff expectations okay, of prisoners' abilities and their capacities and, and things like that. Because I actually completed my undergraduate degree in 2008, and that coincided with my recategorization to open conditions. Okay? But that means that in 2008, I got recategorized from being a medium risk prisoner to a low-risk prisoner. That meant I could go to an open prison, which are for, for low-risk prisoners. 
So I, I actually went off to Spring Hill, um, which is an open prison in, um, in, in, in Aylesbury, Buckinghamshire, and uh, it was there, um, having arrived, I went straight down to the education department to see if they had received my... Because I had confirmation by letter from the university to say, congratulations, you achieved your Bachelor of Arts honours degree in social sciences, uh, but I hadn't had the certification. So when I arrived in my open prison as premium, went straight to the education department and asked them if they had received it from the university. And they, yes, they had. And, uh, you know, a drug got pulled open and my, my certificate got pulled out. Was handed to me. I looked at it. It had my name. It had my qualification: Bachelor of Arts, Honours Degree in Social Sciences. And I just just stared at it. And okay, <laughs> got myself, you know, got my breath back right. And I thought, thank you very much. Um, and again, I just turned to walk out the door. I was stealing a bit, you know. I actually had it in my hand now. Um, but then again. And I, you know, I don't know how proper it is to, to actually name officers, but delegating the education officer at Spring Hill to have called me back. And she said, but hold on a second, Stephen. I thought, yeah. And she asked me the same questions along the same lines again. So what do you intend to do now? And I thought... And you're like, God, everyone leave yeah. me alone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm never thought, happy. Well, I just thought it was an odd question. I thought, what on earth do you mean? What do I do there? <laughs> I'm in an open prison. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do my sort of. There's a period where you have to demonstrate your, your, your you know, your sort of should, should be there in terms of your behavior and things like that. It's called a lie down period. And so, what do you mean? I'm going to obviously go through my lie down period, and then I'll become eligible for voluntary work, and I go and do that, and then I'll become eligible for, you know, sort of paid employment. And now I've got this degree. I've just thought that paid employment is going to be sort of, you know, more prospects in that sense. And Ms. Um, uh, Collins said, right, uh, so you've not thought about a postgraduate qualification. No. Really? No. <laughs> no. And I said, anyway, I couldn't possibly afford it. Um, you know, and she said, well, you know, that, you know that Oxford Brooks University is a local university here. Um, we, we do have a contact there in the Department of International Relations. Uh, his name's Professor Higgins. Well, he actually um, uh, has heard about you and um, he would like to sort of come in and meet you because um, there might be a possibility they might offer you something over there in terms of a, a master's. So that's how I got to end up at Oxford Brooks um, to do my first master's, which I then completed by 2009. Um, and then, um, you know, I, I got offered an opportunity to do a PhD at that point. Uh, but I had nine months to my release in 2010, um, and you know, PhDs for your commitment. And I, I'd been in custody for such a long time. I, 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 I wasn't quite sure how. Uh, when I was uh, so apprehensive, I had my concerns about being released back into the community, um, and so I just didn't want to take the funding and then not completely having been released and, and found out you know, I couldn't. Um, and so I declined that offer. But then um, I got an offer to to do another master's, a second master's, and then um, this time in international law. So I, I opted for that option, and that's how I came to have uh, complete two masters by the time I got released in 2010. <laughs> one, in, oh uh, one in international relations and the other in international law. That's absolutely amazing. Um, 
And and I guess, you know, at this point, we should really, you've already mentioned the importance of the OU and the ability um, and the importance of a university like Oxford Brooks to sort of, you know, to support people like you, but also highlighting the importance of those amazing members of staff that I think we don't hear enough about because prisons get bashed left, right and centre, don't they? Um, And, you know, people could very well think that all prison officers are one type of person and all prisoners are one type of person. But, you know, when you have those incredible people and they see the potential in someone and they're like, come on, come on, come on, I can see the potential in you, um, you know, that is just so important. So I I, can't stress enough um, to the listeners. That's why I name-checked Spring Hill. Because Spring Hill, um, and I don't know about practice in other prisons, but it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's an open prison. I was the first prisoner who left. So in 2008, then, when I went off to do that first master's, I was the first ever prisoner uh, from Spring Hill to go to Oxford Brooks. Um, and I, so that was one scholarship for me. And uh, that turned out to be um, quite successful. But, but I, the point I want to make is about the senior management team at Spring Hill at the time, because, you know, everything's about risk factors and everything is about um, security and making sure that, 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 that there's no, there are no issues with that. And, and I think it takes, you know, um, I think, uh, you know, you need to have progressive governors, governors who might appear to be brave and courageous and, 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 and stick the neck the neck out because they did for me. Because uh, if anything had gone wrong um, in that in that you know in that period of my release from temporary license to go to Oxford Brooks, um, then you know the, the, there would be consequences for, for for that senior management team. So I, I have to stress that and I have to say that. Uh, but today, um, some I don't know how many years on, uh, we now I know that. Uh, um, Oxford Brooks now has 10 scholarships, so they're about a year uh, for prisoners of Oxford Brooks who might want to go over there to, 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 to study with them. That's, that's brilliant. That's, that's, that's again, that, you know, that's something that should be commended because this this forms part of, um, you know, resettlement, re, you know, don't want resettlement efforts. Um, this is just going to make it 100% um, easier for prisoners to transit from custody into the community. Exactly, exactly. And um, tell me just a little bit more now about the work that you do and particularly that the the work that you're doing going back into the prisons to help other people like you and, and is that sort of nationally or is it just a few prisons that you're doing that in? Well, I got into that role um, through the Open University. So the, the, I... I, I Firstly, I joined the OU um, in 2015. I was released in 2010. I joined the OU in 2015 as one of four regional managers um, for the university's students and secure environments team. Um, and that team is responsible for supporting prisons in the delivery of OU study to their prisoners. Um, I'm responsible for sort of 29 prisons in the south and the southwest of the country and other colleagues the others. So my role, that's, that's my first role in prison. And um, I have a second role as an associate lecturer in criminology. So I, I teach students in prison as part of my overall student group. So again, you know, not now during the pandemic, but 
I, I would go in and, and visit my students to deliver face-to-face -face tutorials to them. So those are the two bases in which I go to prison. But the former reason, uh, the former role is quite significant. So when I go in as a regional manager, even though my role does not necessarily involve, you know, um, interacting with prisoners on a one-to-one -one basis or in groups, um, as my role is more managerial, I always, um, where, where, where the opportunity exists, I always take it to, um, to talk to prisoners um, in a one-to-one -one or in a group, uh, or as part of a group, and just to share my own um, journey, my learning journey with them. Um, because I think, uh, I often hear people say how, oh, you know, sort of prison is a waste of time. You know, um, I, people say that to me, all the, all the time, you say, well, it's prison such a waste of time. And I have to, you know, sort of restrain myself in how I respond. Yeah, because it doesn't because, have to be, right? Well, yeah, because it wasn't a waste of time for me. Mm. I have to be honest in that sense and, and, and try and get across um, uh, and, and the idea of being sort of, you know, having this passive period in your life or actually being active during it. And, you know, actually, you know, sort of having some individual agency within, you know, as small as that agency would allow within, yeah. within the prison. But it's, but it's kind of like, you know, again, I think this comes down to character and drive and, you know, the different things that we all have in us as individuals. And there was something within you that's inherent that allowed you to be motivated and a self-starter and to sit on the toilet every night and to, you know, to do that learning. Whereas some people might actually need much more support than you. Well, I think you, I, I think it's understanding what's happening. So, so, and I and I think that's where that's where you know sort of education has its trump card because you, because eventually you'll get to understand what's happening. So when I started with my studies, I had no idea. I was still resistant to it. So I just you know I didn't I I, I didn't take a long view. I didn't project it forward and outward. I didn't appreciate where it could lead. I just thought, right, I need to do this bit and get it over and done with and that'll be that. Right. So it, it's about actually, I was thinking about this the other day, it's about um, um what I do I see this invisible opportunities, you know, um, a, you know, a lack of perception. How can I take an opportunity that I don't I, I can't even perceive? That's very difficult. And so, you know, you, you begin to take your opportunity because you begin to perceive it more than that, you begin to imagine it more than that, you begin to, 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 to make it happen in the activities that you're engaged with. It becomes something that's real. It's a bit like um, the shift in my sense of, um, in my sense of who I am. Um, I, 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 you know, I clearly have a criminal record, so that, so for to many people, that just puts me straight away in a particular category. I'm not a, a, a criminal, I've got a criminal record. Um, but, you know, in my perception, nothing could be further from the truth. The truth is that I haven't offended since 2002, well, so almost two decades hence. The, the, the role I play within my, within, within my community and within society is one that's positive, is one that I am proud of, is one that I will you know, more than happy to share because I think that other people, you know, other people, um, you know, might learn and take something away from me. So I, so I'm, 
you know, it, 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 it's exactly, I think, the way it, it should be. I, I, I've come through a process. I, I clearly have um, been able to take something that's quite that's positive um, from, from that process um, and build on it. Uh, but it's come full circle because I'm now giving back as much as I possibly can. Exactly. And, and if we're talking about justice being done and the purpose of the justice system and the purpose of prison, you know, you received your punishment um, whilst you were there, you were doing something positive, as you say, and now you're in the community and, and you know, living your life as a law-abiding citizen. Um, do you, however, have moments where you're like, oh, it's a bit, uh, I feel a bit guilty. I only ask that question not because I think you should feel guilty at all, but because other people that I've talked to who've been in prison sort of feel because they've got a job now that um, somehow they're still beating themselves up about the fact that these opportunities were afforded to them, but they came off the back of something very negative. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Well, yes, I think, I, I think that that's such a good point you touch on. Um, and even when I arrived in prison, because um, I was kind of raw, the only way I put it, I, you know, completely wrong place in my mind and in my head. Um, I, 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 I mean, I have sort of acknowledged it. There is a massive, massive um, level and degree of shame that comes with incarceration. It's shameful, not just for me as a person, but for my wife, for my kids, for my family. It was shameful that another black, you know, young black man is again um, convicted for drug offences. So that you know, reinforcing those stereotypical views of, 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 of black men. And, 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 and so there's a shame, a real shame that comes from this. But uh, what do you do with the shame? I mean, what, you know, that's, that for me is what's, um, that's, that's what allows me now uh, not, to, not to speak myself about my previous experience because I have felt that shame. With, with the support of um, a system that I still think is not necessarily designed to support the things that I was trying to achieve, but I, you know, but I actually was supported through my incarceration, certainly in terms of my study. Um, and through that studies and my educational um, attainments, I've been able to um, reassess, reevaluate my sense of who I am, my sense of identity. And I think I would still beat myself if I felt that um, that that level of being a criminal, you know, sort of still applied to me. I think uh, I think that would be where that would come in. But it, it doesn't apply to me any longer. And it's not because I have just suddenly appeared. <laughs> you know, um, it's because I've taken um, almost two decades to shift my understanding of of who I am through the things that I do, not do, you know, um, through through my actions. So it's a bit like, you know, well, like, you know, when I was involved in criminality, it's a trap that labour. When I'm not involved in criminality, it shouldn't attract that labour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it and it sounds to me, listening to you, it's that sort of absolutely what the word transformation is that kind of like almost like a I'm getting all symbolic now but like a snake shedding its skin it's kind of like 
that was me, right? And I can appreciate that and say that, but that is not me now. And, you know, you can't keep beating yourself up about it because, you know, if you do, then that's going to jeopardise. Well, society's doing it anyway. Society, you know, society does do that. I mean, I read on Twitter the other day um, a lady who is not the offender or prisoner or whatever you want to frame me, um, but she's a partner, is in custody, and she was drawing attention to the fact she was getting simply because she's supporting him and she's not just sort of saying, right, throw the keys away or, you know, which, you know, and I, I, I read that and I, I, I had to reach out to her um, to see how amazing she was yeah. as a person um, because we lose the humanity of prisoners once we go through the gates, you know, um, but we are humans and... Um, yeah, and we love to judge, don't we? We love to judge, no matter who you are, and I think no matter what you're doing in life, and especially if you're active on Twitter, then uh, there's many judges out there. Can I ask you what you're doing your PhD in? What's uh, what are you researching? And because you'll be a doctor, right? Right. Yes. Yes. I mean, <laughs> this is straight out from my this is straight out from my experience. Because one of the things that I find really interesting is um, this idea that. Um, that 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 prisons are you know they have a dual function. So on the one hand, we recognise the prisons centres for punishment. Um, they're associated with punishment. That you know that, that goes without saying. But we also know that uh, it's often said that prisons have another function, and that is to sort of rehabilitate those prisoners in their care. Um, and I find that quite interesting because in my experience, uh, we have a system that, you know, you know, this is a really strong feature of our prison systems that somebody like me with no problem, you know, with nothing at all, completely zero, could arrive, you know, at the gates of prison, serve their time, and then at the end of that, would have achieved these qualifications. So, so what, whatever else you want to say, well, that is a that is a, a, a an amazing feature of prison. But then it's so difficult to do. It's so difficult to achieve qualifications. It's so difficult to get on to education. It's so difficult to get the information, advice, access, all of that that you, you'd need to get involved. So, so it, it brought me to think, well, it would be interesting to explore how prisons actually achieve, if they do, this opposing twin objectives of being punitive on the one hand, but also rehabilitating prisoners on the other. Because I think it's, I, I think it's, I think it's a huge ask. Right, that balance between punishment and and sort of positivity, and and can yeah. you give positive punishments? Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, maybe you can. I mean, that's maybe a pod for another day. <laughs> well, indeed, because the notion of punishment in and of itself is not the issue. The notion of punishment in and of itself is not the issue. So yes, you know, I find I, you know, you'll find that most prisoners accept, you know, consequences come from actions, and so you know, and I, I think um, one. Um, one one purpose of, of you know of prisons you know the ability to incapacitate offenders um it you know it, that works because be, you know you get incapacitated and you can't commit any offenses while you're in there um certainly in terms in terms of members of the public so it does serve that role but then you know how 
is how do you then transit or move from there into a situation where you're now saying, oh, you know, conditions are like this, overcrowded, con you know, um, um, so on and so on and so on, without having to spell it out. So the idea of the idea of punishment in the loss of liberty through as incapacitation, fine. I think most prisoners accept that logic. But then does that mean everything else that comes with being in prison? I think that's where I think that's where I, I think that's where the I th that's where we need to look and ask ourselves if 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 what we if what we hope to achieve in terms of rehabilitation, reducing reoffending, we have to ask ourselves how likely is that possible in these types of environments? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Stephen, I just want to say such a big thank you for talking to me today. It is February half term. Um, you have children to get back to. I do too. But um, you have totally and utterly, and I don't mean to sound corny, because I'm sure a lot of people say you're inspiring, but you've inspired me to get through the rest of my master's um, with the way that you tackled and sort of went headlong into your into your education. So thank you so much. Good luck with all your work with the Open University. A shout out to Oxford Brooks and to Spring Hill. Um, what year was it, Spring Hill? Spring Hill was 2008 to 2010. Okay, senior management team, Spring Hill, 2008 yeah. to 2010. And also to your lovely wife who um, got you through um, some, some difficult times, I'm sure. So thank you so much. Thank you. Links relevant to this episode can be found in the pod notes below. If you enjoyed listening, we would love it if you would subscribe. Also rate, review, and best of all, share this episode. Justice is produced for one small thing by the London Podcast Company. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.